If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in your Bible, so this is an easy one. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. Grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to keep one of those as your own. I love giving away Jerry's stuff, so take a Bible with you today when you go, okay? It's all yours. But Genesis, we're going to be in chapter 12, and uh, Jerry mentioned we're continuing on in our series today, Humans of the Bible. And we're going to look at a guy today who is a really well-known human of the Bible. I wouldn't be surprised if most of you will at least recognize his name uh, as we look at the story today of Abraham. Now, if you grew up in church, I bet you got dizzy singing about this guy. How many of you got dizzy singing about Father Abraham and his many sons? Yes, several of us in right arm, left arm, right? Fall down, sit down. I don't remember how it went. I'm sure some kids probably sustained injuries because of the song. Hopefully that wasn't you. But Abraham's story is so much more than just a vertigo-inducing song. And we're going to see that today. It actually takes up about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And outside of the book of Genesis, Abraham is mentioned 43 more times in the Old Testament and 75 times in the New Testament. And so I think you can see Abraham's a pretty important figure in the story of God. And he's referred to as the father of our faith. How many of you have heard that before? Have you heard Abraham referred to? Yeah, as the father of our faith. We're going to see why he has that title today. But, and I really want to focus in on that topic of faith. As we study Abraham, you can know that right alongside the, the lesson we're going to learn today is a lesson about faith. Now, faith is something that we hear a lot about, isn't it? We hear stories of how someone's faith got them through a difficult time. We hear people sometimes refer to their religion as their faith. And so someone might, might ask you, what faith are you? And what they mean is, what, what religion do you adhere to? Some of you have heard people uh, talk about faith that can move mountains. And that's a reference to Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 17. And as you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus himself had a lot to say about faith. But here's why I think it's so important for us to understand this topic of faith. And it's on your notes page if you want to look there. Uh, but in Hebrews eleven six, we read this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want you to think about that for just a minute and let that sink in. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I would hope that, that everyone in this room has a, de a desire to please God, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, right? That's what our lives are supposed to be pointed, pointed towards, God's will, bringing glory to God, pleasing God. But here's what we have to understand. According to Hebrews 11.6, that's not going to happen apart from faith. So this is a big deal, isn't it? And yet I wonder if faith is something that you've given much thought to. We hear about it, we talk about it, we sing about it here on Sunday mornings, but have you ever stopped to consider, what is faith? And am I putting it into practice? Well, I think what Hebrews 11 is pointing out for us is that, and again, especially as followers of Jesus, this is something we have to get right. There is some weight to this topic of faith. And Abraham's story is going to help us answer the question, what is faith? But it's also going to give us some insight into how we practically apply faith in our lives. So we're going to get into that story in just a minute. But before we do, I think it might be helpful if I give you just a little bit of background. First of all, when we first meet Abraham, uh, his name isn't Abraham. 
we're going to meet a guy named Abram. And halfway through his story, God's going to change his name to Abraham. But you can know, as you hear me talk about those two names today, it's the same guy, Abram and Abraham. Also, Abram was married to a lady named Sarai. And Sarai is going to have her name changed later in the story to Sarah. Okay, so Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. But they're the same people. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, that sin entered the world, and it came in through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And because of that original sin, humanity experienced a separation from God. And here's the thing. If God had washed his hands of mankind and just left us to death and hell, he would have been completely justified in doing so. It's what Jerry's son told him about at Connor Prairie, that the, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what our sin uh, deserves. It's death. It's hell. But God didn't want that for us. God loves his creation. He loves mankind. And whether you believe it or not, he loves you. He loves you. And so he put a plan into motion because he wanted to bring us back into right standing with himself. And this plan involved starting a brand new nation. And it would be a group of people with whom he would have a special relationship. They would be set apart, a chosen people. They would be holy to the Lord. They weren't going to act like the other nations act. They weren't going to do the things that the other people were doing. These people were going to follow God. And so to start this new nation, God picked Abram. But Abram is a strange choice for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this. Abram grew up in a home of idol worshipers. In fact, in Joshua 24, we read that Abram's father, Terah, he worshiped uh, many false gods. And so Abram, Abraham grew up with a, a polytheistic worldview. That just means that, that he understood and he believed that there are a number of different gods that he ought to worship. But we have no evidence from Scripture that Abram was even familiar with the one true God. We don't know that for sure, but growing up in the home of idol worshipers and, uh, and the worship of multiple gods, it seems unlikely that he would have known and loved the one true God. And yet, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, I want you to think about this. This verse highlights that this is Abram's country. These are Abram's people. This is his household. He's comfortable. He's connected, right? He's probably on track to inherit at least a portion of his father's land, his father's possessions, uh, to carry on that family name. Why would Abram walk away from this? Well, look at what God promised him in verse 2. He says to Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I want you to know right there, that, uh, that theme of, of God blessing someone so that they will then be a blessing, that's a major theme throughout Scripture. I want you to watch for that as you read God's Word. It's true for you and I, too. We're blessed to be a blessing. It doesn't end with us. God wants His blessings in our lives to flow out to other people. Blessed to be a blessing. God goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were a couple of reasons why Abram was a strange choice for starting this new nation. The first was his family background, but the second is this. 
God's looking to start this great nation. But the Bible says that Abram and Sarai are nearly 100 years old, and they have no kids, okay? And so I, I want to ask you, if it was you, would you pick a couple like that? Maybe I could illustrate that for you with a couple of pictures here. Maybe you could decide uh, who you would choose if you were going to build a nation. Here's option number one. It's a family we all know and love. Uh, it's the Bradys, right? And you've got dad and his boys joining up with mom and the girls, and Alice is in the middle, and she's kind of an honorary Brady, right? So you've got, you've got one extra in the mix there. But, but they're young, they're vibrant, their family's growing, they're on their way uh, to being a great nation, it seems like. So this is, this is option number one. But, but here's option number two, and this is, this is Frank and Lois. And you know what? Some of you are going to recognize Frank and Lois. I, I talk about them from time to time. I take them with me wherever I go. They're, they're my go-to elderly couple, and I think it's just their charisma and their enthusiasm. You know, they just look like a charming couple to me. But Frank and Lois, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that their nation-building days are behind them, okay? If Lois hasn't started uh, popping out pups yet, I'm guessing she's not going to start anytime soon. She looks like she's well beyond childbearing years to me. I didn't say that phrase in first service. I probably won't say it again. That was, I don't know where that came from, quite honestly. If you could forget that, that would be good. But if it was your choice to make, you know, you got, got the Brady's young, vibrant, big family, and you got Frank and Lois, and you need to start a nation, who are you going to choose? But more importantly, who, who would God choose? And doesn't it seem that God often chooses the least likely people to carry out his plan. I mean, just think about the people that we've studied in this series so far. You think back to Moses, and he was a Hebrew born into Egyptian slavery. Think about Ruth. She was a, she was a Moabite woman, a foreigner in a strange land. She was viewed as the lowest of low. Think about Stephen. Josh Tandy talked about Stephen and the fact that, you know, he said he, said he, he was just a bread uh, provider, just a food provider, right? And Josh said, be careful not to think of yourself just as whatever, because God always uses the most unlikely people for his purposes. And in Genesis 15, 5, here's what we read, uh, that God took Abram outside and he said to him, Abram, I want you to look up at the sky and I want you to count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And now that's a pretty incredible promise for a guy who's closing in on 100 years old and whose wife has not been able to have any children. Scientists say that without a telescope, if you just go out and look up into the night sky, you can identify about 10,000 stars with the naked eye. And as Abram was likely overwhelmed at the thought of thousands of descendants, I have to believe that God was smiling. Because only God knew, only God had the knowledge of the billions of stars that are in the sky. And only God knew that this promised nation would be made up not of thousands, but of billions of people, both natural born and adopted ones like you and me. And can I just remind you this morning that while our eyes may see one thing, God always sees so much more. The Bible tells us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. And it, it, it's true that he sees so much more than we do. It was true for Abram, and it's true for you and I. God said to him, he said, Abram, I'm picking you. I'm going to build a great nation through you. I'm going to bless you with more kids and grandkids and great-grandkids than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to bless the people who bless you, and I'm going to curse the people who curse you. And that's a pretty awesome promise for Abram, don't you think? But I have to believe that the tough part was still ahead. 
Because in order for this new nation to start, Abram's going to have to leave everything behind. All of his comfort, his family, his home. He's going to have to take his wife and go to a place that they've never been before. In fact, they don't even know where they're going. God doesn't tell them. He just says, go to the land that I will show you. But in verse 4, we read Abram's response. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram is obedient to what the Lord has commanded. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith is obeying. It's the first thing I want you to see about faith today. Faith is obeying. Just try to imagine how difficult it would have been for this elderly couple to leave. Remember, they're nearly 100 years old, and this is Haran. Okay, this is a country that's located on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. It's rugged terrain. It's dangerous terrain. They don't know where they're going, and they could have come up with any number of reasons to disobey this command of God, but they didn't do that. God said, go. So Abram went. No questions, no objections, just obedience. And in the New Testament, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And some of you here today, likely very much like Abram, have no idea where you're going. In just a figurative sense, life probably feels kind of out of control right now. And maybe you feel like you're stuck in a roundabout. How many of you like roundabouts? Do we have some roundabout lovers here? I know that there are some of you out there. They just confuse me. When they built all of those roundabouts off of 31, I think I spent a half an hour just trying to figure out how to get to the Carmel campus, in and out and around and around. And maybe your life feels like that sometimes. Like you're just stuck in a roundabout, going around and around and around. And you see all these exits and all these different options, but which one am I supposed to take? And you're asking God to show you, and that's good. I want you to keep on doing that. Keep asking God, what's your will for my life? But I want you to see that Abram is a great example of obeying even when you don't know where you're going. Because faith is obeying even when you're not sure where God is leading. That's never easy, but obedience is the key. If you don't know where God's leading, you just, you obey what you do know. You don't focus on what you don't know. You say, okay, well, what has God commanded? What are the things that I do know? Jesus was asked one time, what, what are the two greatest, or what's the greatest commandment? And he gave them two. He said, the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength. And he said, the second greatest commandment is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with just those two things? Like if you, if you have all these questions about what's God's will for my life, what, what if you just started there? What if you were just obedient to those commands for now? And I, I know you've got to figure out school and you've got to figure out work and you've got a mortgage to pay and health and kids and on and on and on. I get that. And I think God's going to show you the way in all of that. But if you aren't being obedient in what you do know, how are you going to be obedient in what you don't know? Abraham obeyed even though he didn't know where he was going. He heard from God and he responded. He didn't need all of the answers right now. He responded to what he knew. He packed up his home, packed up his possessions. His, his neighbors are probably looking at him like he's crazy. His family's asking him questions to which he has absolutely no answers. All he knows is that God said go. And so he went. He obeyed. So faith is obeying. And then here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Faith is believing Faith is believing. And I want, I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes again. He, he really has every reason to doubt this. God is promising this great nation, but the Bible specifically tells us that Sarah was well beyond childbearing years. 
okay, well beyond it. It's not like she's kind of right on the line and she's probably not going to have any kids. No, she was well beyond it. Having kids at this point is not even on her radar. And yet God promised this child. And you know what? Abram believed. Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abram believed. He believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed that God would do what God promised he would do. And that's really important because faith isn't believing that God will do what you or I think he should do. And sometimes we get a little bit upside down on this. We think faith is believing that God is going to do what we want. And if I have enough faith, he's going to do things my way. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is this. It's believing that God will do what he said he would do because he has the power to do whatever he desires. Let me say that again. Biblical faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do because he has the power to do whatever he desires. I think we see this illustrated in Romans chapter 4 where it says that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. What is faith? Well, faith is believing. It's believing God against all hope. It's looking at a, a man whose body is as good as dead and his wife whose womb is also dead and yet believing that God will do what he said he would do because he has the power to do whatever he desires. And so I wonder this morning, how are you doing with that kind of faith? How are you doing with this aspect of faith, this believing? As a follower of Jesus Christ, every part of your life is gonna come down to this one question. Do I believe God? Do I believe God even when I don't get the job? Do I believe God even when I don't get into the school I wanted? Do I believe that God is good even when the test results are bad? Do I really believe and trust in God even when there seems to be no possible solution? And do you believe that God will do what he said he would do? Do you believe he has the power to do whatever he desires? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so I want to ask you this morning, that, that verse talks about what we hope for. What, what would you say that is for you right now? When you think about what, what comes to mind, what, what's, what's taking your, your emotional energy? What's taking just your thought life? What's, what's eating up you know, your time, your space? What is it right now that you're hoping for? And whatever that is, whatever it is you've identified as what you're hoping for, is it something that God has spoken clearly on? Is there something in his word where it's just black and white and God says, it is this way, it's going to be this way? Because if it is, you can trust him for that, okay? You can rest in that. You can know that God said he's spoken on that and he is trustworthy. You can, you can rest in that. But here's the thing. Sometimes we put our hope in things that God hasn't spoken clearly on. And we put our hope in things that it's not so black and white. And if you have put your hope in something that God has not spoken clearly on, I want to gently suggest this morning that it's time for you to realign your hope. And it's not bad that maybe you hope for something, but to set your hope on something that is not a promise of God, 
That's where we go wrong. 1 Peter 1.13 tells us that we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be given when Christ comes again. Okay, and again, it's not that we can't hope for other things. Like I, I hope my kids, as they grow up, they're going to continue walking with the Lord. I hope for that. I hope, uh, you know, I hope for health for my family. I hope, hope for health for my friends. I, I hope for a lot of different kinds of things, but my hope isn't set on those things. My hope is set on the fact that no matter how bad things get here on earth, this is all coming to an end. And when Christ comes again, there is going to be so much grace, you guys. There's going to be so much grace. That's where our hope is set. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more death, no more sickness. And here's the best part. We're going to be with Jesus forever. And that's a promise. Yeah, we can celebrate that. It's awesome. It's a promise of God's word. And so if your hope is set on something less than that, I just want to suggest that you realign your hope this morning. Uh, it's a command that you can be obedient to. Every day you can pray something like this. God, my situation is overwhelming. I mean, we don't have to pull punches with God. Just let him know. I don't see a way out of this. It's overwhelming. I have no idea how this is going to play out. I'm hoping it'll go a certain way. Let him know that. You know, I'm really hoping to see this happen. But regardless, God, my hope is set on the grace that'll be given when Christ comes again. Okay, so faith is obeying. It's being obedient to what we know. Faith is believing, believing in God's word, believing the things that he said he will do, that he will do them because he has the power to do them. And Abraham, he was a great example of these things for us. He really was. But before we go and label Abraham as the ultimate example for life and faith, we need to take a look at what happens next in his story. Because in Genesis chapter 16, the, the story goes a little bit south. Abram and, and Sarai, they're getting up in years. They're getting a little impatient with God. They're tired of waiting. They're certainly not getting any younger. And so they decide they're going to take matters into their own hands. And in verse 3, we read that after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, clearly, this is not God's plan. God's plan was for Abram and Sarai to have a son, not Abram and Hagar. And remember, we talked about this, the importance a couple of weeks ago, uh, about if you're not experiencing the blessing of God, you don't take matters into your own hands because God's not gonna bless sin. If you're not experiencing the blessing of God, you stay in the place that God can bless. Ruth was a great example of that for us. Abram and Sarai, not as much. And there are consequences for these actions. As we read on in chapter 16, we find that a child is born to Hagar, and he's given the name Ishmael. And here's what God says about Ishmael in verse 12. He said, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. So for Ishmael, we see that life is going to be nothing but chaos. His life and his uh, generations to come are going to know him for nothing more than strife and hostility and striving. And it's important to note that, that eventually God's plan is still going to prevail. In Genesis 21, you can read that the Lord gives a son to Abraham and to Sarah, and they name him Isaac. But because they took matters into their own hands, Isaac now has this brother from another mother named Ishmael. And this is fascinating. Because the Muslim people, they, they traced their lineage back through this man, Ishmael, this wild donkey of a man. He became the father of the Arab nations. 
And Isaac is the father of the Jewish nation today. And what I want you to know is that right here, right now, 4,000 years later, when you turn on your television set and you hear about conflict between places like Iran and Israel, what you are seeing is Ishmael and Isaac. There was conflict and hostility then. There's plenty of conflict and hostility today. And right here in Genesis chapter 16 is where it all began with one decision to stray from God's plan. And out of that decision, generations of chaos ensue. But I want you to also see in the story that even in the midst of Abram's unfaithfulness, that God remains faithful. God remains faithful even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And you can know that the people in the Bible sometimes made huge mistakes. They did things apart from God's plan. But, but notice that God doesn't walk away. He doesn't count them out. He still uses their lives for his glory. And so I want you to know if you've ever felt disqualified from God's grace, like I've walked away, I've gone too far, you know, I've sinned too bad, there's no way God could forgive me now, I want you to know that, that there is grace. You can look at Abraham and Sarah and know that you're not counted out either. First John chapter 1 tells us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins but not only that, he'll also cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So what do we do with our sin? We confess it. We take it to God. We repent of it. And then we receive his grace in our lives. Uh, when you sin, when you've done things in your, in your past, you've got some stuff back there that, that you're not proud of, God can still use your life for his glory if you'll put your trust in him. And that's the last thing I want you to see today. It's that faith is trusting if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Faith is trusting. And in Genesis 22, we find the story that Abraham is probably best known for. Uh, God has promised Abraham he would make him into a great nation. Sarah has finally given birth to a son, Isaac. And now the Lord is about to do something that had to have caught Abraham off guard. Genesis 22, verse 1 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, I want you to keep in mind, we know right from the start this is a test. But Abraham didn't know that. Okay, this is just a note for you and me. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now pause right there. Don't you think it's interesting that God goes into such great detail about the son whom he's talking about? Because wouldn't it have been easy for Abram to say, well, he, I'll just take Ishmael, right? But God says, no, you take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac. Like there's no you know, denying who it is that God is calling him to take. And I want, I want to highlight too that we know from Deuteronomy chapter 12 that the Lord, he strictly forbids human sacrifice. This is not God saying that human sacrifice is okay, but the book of Deuteronomy had not yet been given. Abram is just getting to know the Lord. He's getting to know his ways. And God has a purpose for giving Abram this instruction. We're going to see it. But reading on for right now, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So it's going to be a three-day journey. Three days to get to the top of this mountain. Three days to think about what the Lord had commanded. I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but I sure know what I'd be thinking. You know, God, surely you don't want me to do this. 
Surely I, I misunderstood. Surely I didn't hear you clearly. There's no way that you want me to sacrifice my son, my, my one and only son. He's the, he's the link to this great nation that you've promised me. That's what I'd be thinking. But I don't think Abraham was praying that at all. Here's, here's why. Verse 4 says this. On the third day, Abraham looked up. And he saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And notice that pronoun usage toward the end of that verse. He says, We will worship, and we will come back to you. We, both Isaac and I, are going to come back. And in the New Testament, we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, Abraham reasoned to himself, that even if he followed through with the sacrifice, that God could bring his son back to life. And so Abraham confidently says, we're going to come back. Even if I go over there, even if this, this happens the way I think it's going to happen and I'm going to sacrifice my son, God has the power to bring him back to life. I don't know what's going on, but I'm trusting, I'm trusting God. And so faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. And sometimes it's impossible to see how our current situation could lead to anything good. But in those moments, it becomes a matter of trusting. And it's trusting that God sees the bigger picture. How many of you here this morning enjoy doing puzzles? Do we have any puzzle people? Yeah. Uh, we don't do a ton of puzzles at my house, but, but there is one time of year when we break out the puzzles, and it's at Christmas time. Over Christmas break, we've got a card table that we'll set up and uh, goes right behind our love seat and we'll dump all the pieces onto that table. And uh, as my kids have gotten older, we've graduated to more and more difficult puzzles. We're up to like the, the thousand piece puzzles now and it takes us several days to do it. But the reality is, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I always use the picture on the box. I know some people are hardcore puzzle people and they refuse to look at the picture while they're putting it together. I just need you to know that is never going to be me. That is so frustrating to try and put that puzzle together without looking at the picture. It just looks like a big pile of chaos when you don't have the picture in front of you. But when you do have the picture, you can see that all of these jumbled up, cut up, you know, pieces are going to come together and they're going to make something beautiful. And you can look at a piece from the puzzle and you can see how, okay, this, this color on this piece kind of blends in with that color on that piece. And the shadow over here kind of falls onto this piece. And you see how they all fit together and it kind of begins to make sense. And I fully believe that there will be a day when you and I will look back on our lives and we'll look at the, the good stuff that happened, we'll look at the bad stuff that happened, and we will see how God was using all of that for our good and for his glory. But that's not today. Today we just see it one piece at a time, don't we? We just see kind of the pile, sometimes the chaos, just that, that one piece that we pick up out of the pile. But I think Abraham was viewing this command to sacrifice his son in light of the fact that it was just one small piece of a much bigger picture. And just think about if he had chosen to put all of his focus on that one piece, this story probably would have ended very differently. If he had not thought about the fact that, that God is a big God who sees the bigger picture, this story may not have played out the way that it did. But, but Abraham didn't do that. He trusted that God saw that bigger picture. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. And so we read in verse 6 that they reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its thorns. And so he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. There's this literary term that I bet you'll remember from school called foreshadowing. And it's where the author gives a hint about what's going to come later. And remember when I said there's a purpose to God's command for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Well, this event on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac, it's foreshadowing. This is the same region where God would later send his own son to be crucified. And for Abraham, it was just a test. But the day was coming when it would be so much more than a test. And God would actually follow through with sacrificing his own son for you and me. And you know, it's frustrating to try and put a puzzle together without the picture. But what's even worse is getting to the end of the puzzle and realizing you're one piece short. And I wonder if there are some of you here today, when you look at your life, when you consider your life, the reality is you're a piece short. And that piece is faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's obeying him and believing him and trusting in him. And so I want to ask you this morning, where are you with this? Are you obeying? I know you've got questions. Uh, I know you've got doubts, but what about what you know? What about what you know for sure that, that Jesus has commanded us to do? That's a good place to start. Love God, love people. You don't need all of the answers to start obeying. Just start with what you know. Are you believing? Do you believe that God will do what he said he would do? And do you believe that he has the power to do whatever he desires? And what is it that your hope is set on? Is it set fully on the grace that will be given when Christ is revealed? He's coming back, folks. It's a promise that you can believe in. You can take that one to the bank. And finally, are you trusting? Are you trusting that God sees a bigger picture? Are you trusting that that the good stuff and the bad stuff can all come together to create a picture that shows that God was always working for your eternal good and his eternal glory? Are you trusting him for that? Faith is obeying and faith is believing and faith is trusting. And without it, without faith, man, it's impossible to please God. So we've got to take this serious. We've got to get this right. He has asked us to put our faith in him. And it's something that you can do today. I want to pray for us. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you. Your word tells us that that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Thanks for being a faithful God. And I recognize this morning, Lord, that there are people in this room coming at this from all different kinds of angles. And so I think about the person here this morning who maybe is considering first time faith. They've never put their faith in you, Lord. They've never made any kind of a commitment in you. They've never stepped out into obeying and believing and trusting, but maybe you're drawing their heart right now. Father, I pray that that would continue and that they would respond in obedience and for the first time, maybe experience hope and joy and peace in their heart. Father, I pray for that kind of faith today. I also pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning uh, who are in the middle of long-term faith. Father, they've, they've made a commitment to you. They are a child of yours, but maybe in the midst of life and circumstances, 
uh, Father, and just the long road that they've walked. Maybe faith has kind of fallen by the wayside. And I pray that if that's true this morning, that you would re-energize their faith today, that maybe they would recommit to you to live a life of faith, to live a life that's pleasing to you, a life that would bring you glory, Father. Encourage our hearts in that. Help us to keep our eyes fixed, not on what is seen, but what's unseen, not on what is temporary, but what is eternal, Father. And to set our hope fully on the grace that'll be given when Christ is revealed. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, and give us faith until that day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.